Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor. My name is Jesse Mayer. I'll be your host. And this week we are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Woo-hoo. Today is known as Maundy Thursday. Tomorrow is Good Friday. Sunday is resurrection celebration here at Foothills and across the world celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So let's welcome the Salty Pastor as we focus on the very foundation of our faith, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here he is, Dr. Douglas Peak. <laughs> Greetings, everyone. I'm so honored that you are here with us today. I'm going to be talking about my favorite subject of all, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All right. First question of the day. Okay. Why do they call today Maundy Thursday, and what does that mean? <laughs> I was it's before designed. the podcast we were even talking. I thought I had always heard it as Maudy Thursday, Maudie, like which Maudie, is yeah. which is like Mardi Gras, I guess, and that's a yeah. very different thing. That's a that's people with some weird accents. Let me tell you. <laughs> well, the word Monday comes from the Latin word mundane, which means to command, okay. and so it. That Latin changed into French, and the French added the co to the front, so it became known as command. And then when it went into Old English, it was changed to command. So Monday is a form, a Latin form, or a root of the word command. Okay. And the purpose of, on Thursday, before Christ was betrayed, uh, what happened is he washed the disciples' feet at the Last Supper, and then he said, I want you. His command was, love one another as I have loved you. So it's the command of love. So Monday, Thursday is the day of love. Day of love. Everyone thinks these days that's Valentine's Day, but yeah. it's really Monday, Thursday. It's Monday, Thursday, yeah. and Because a lot of people ask me, if Jesus was crucified on Friday and died on Friday, why is it called good? Which is a great question. That is a good question. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad we cleared that up because I'm going to be honest after all these years of being a Christian, I still didn't really understand what Monday Thursday was. So I'm sure I'm not the only one. So I will admit it. I can I can admit when I, I don't know admit. things. Love the humility. Um, so on Tuesday, we discussed the story of Lazarus in uh, John 11. Yes. Um, this is a story of death. We saw Jesus was deeply moved numerous times by the grief of Mary and Martha and the people um, who were there with them over the death of Lazarus. He he even wept openly. Yes. Um, so what is the power of this story for us t- in today's world? Well, you know, if you go back and listen to Tuesday's podcast, if you missed it, you kind of dig into this. But the whole point of this story is that in order to discover life and be able to live fully, we need to really understand death. We must know and understand that which destroys us as human beings. A lot of people think, oh, well, death is something that happens at the end of my life, which is true. But biblically speaking, death is something that hovers over us from just our earliest abstract thoughts when our souls start to develop and come into a knowing. And so we have to understand that. Uh, otherwise, we can never understand what brings us back to life right here on the earth. The resurrection of Jesus wasn't like a life hack, you know, around death. It wasn't a shortcut. It wasn't a around. cheat code. It's not a cheat code or a curveball. It wasn't a minstrel strick or a, a, an illusionist's game. The resurrection looked death 
directly in the eye. It took that which destroys us as human beings here now and in eternity, towards the end of our life and eternity, and brought it to center stage. Jesus made it the central point in what it means to know and be at peace with God. He put it at the center of what it means to be authentically a human being, a living soul, a, a real person. You know, today people are always going, oh, you know, go out and try to be a better human. Well, I look around me be and the say, best you you can be. Yeah, that's just that uh, that's a great, you know, bumper sticker, you know, thought, but unless you address death, you can't be a better human being. You can't be the best version of yourself. And so resurrection looked death directly in the eye. And what that means for us today is this, with all our affluence, you know, living in America, even if you're under the, you know, poverty level, you live better than billions of people have lived over the last 7,000 years of recorded human history. Right. So our, our, our nation is extremely affluent. It is the wealthiest nation in the history of the world. So it's pretty remarkable. In all of our technology, you look at our technology right now and how far we've come in the last hundred years, absolutely remarkable what we are doing technologically. All of our science, all of our uh, human achievements, the bottom line is in America, we are still a culture of death. Our culture is a death culture simply because we ignore death and its influence on us. We run from death. We hide from death. And this is why, you know, to live is critically important. And the first step is facing that which stops us from living. So we look around us and we see the evidence of the culture of death. Love is dying in our mm. culture. People talk about love. They're enamored with love. But love seems to be dying. I mean, we live in a, a day and age where sexual abuse and the sexual trafficking of children is on the rise. Women, you know, are talking about the Me Too movement because they're sexually assaulted, sexually uh, demeaned in their workplaces, everywhere they go. Women who are dating, you know, talk about how it's, it's crazy, you know, how, how you're objectified so quickly. Well, this is a result of our culture is, is a culture of death. And so it's killing love. It's destroying love, real, authentic love. The other thing is loyalty is dying. You know, honor, courage, truth, liberty, even our freedom is dying. The more fearful of death a person becomes, the more they try to control and manipulate the life that they have. It's like a desperation. Mm. So until until we face the culture of death in our own life personally, then it's almost impossible to live. And so this culture of death, I think, is the exact focus of Jesus Christ. It's the exact reason for his coming to live amongst us. It illustrates the very loving heart of God to come and, and focus on the thing that is destroying our very lives. 
Well, and in this this story of Lazarus, we see what I think is one of the most powerful phrases from the mouth of Jesus. And um, when he said, I am the resurrection and the life, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And is this statement of Jesus what you're talking about concerning the culture today yeah. with this death? Yeah, and, and I think that this, this you know, Rightfully so is one of the most powerful passages of Scripture uh, that records the utterance of Jesus Christ himself about who he is in his very nature. If there was ever any question in your mind about why Jesus came to meet you, the mission for which he came to this earth, the thing he actually wants to say to you and to you directly, then here it is. It's all about life. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And so what we see is that if my focus, if my goal is to be an alive person, a living person, and I believe every statement that every person, regardless of their belief system in America, says today is a reflection of this this, uh, call of their soul. They want to be alive. So they say, be a better human, find the best version of yourself, go out and be happy, self-care. These are all uh, poor reflections of the real thirst, the real hunger of the soul. And that is, I want to be alive. Right. I want to know what it means to actually be alive. It's all about real life. And we can only do this when we answer the deepest questions of human existence. It, it, when Jesus rose from the dead. When he says, I am the resurrection and the life, those two things are inextricably linked together now in the statement of Jesus Christ. It's all about giving us a sense of where we sit in the cosmos. It defines the reality of what it means to be a human being. Life is knowing what it means to be a human being. Now, we have been challenged with different ideologies in our own nation. Are you simply the accident of a cold and impersonal universe, an arrangement of atoms and molecules guided by impersonal DNA for the purpose of propagating an irrelevant and meaningless form of life? I just got depressed by that whole statement. (laughs) But that's what it is. It's, you know, life is really meaningless and irrelevant. Or do you have a soul? Are your hopes and your dreams, your feelings, your perceptions, your basic human needs, are these things that actually really exist and therefore they matter? Do you matter? Does your life matter? Do your choices influence the outcome? Do you have free will to make choices? What does it mean to have a code of honor or a moral code? Something that drives you to see injustice and want to do something about it or Go back to the first one, as Sam Harris would say, all of this is an illusion your mind creates to cover up the fact that it means nothing. This life means nothing. Well, when you live in a society where everyone's uh, arm wrestling, I guess, over these two basic ideas mm-hmm. of what it means to be a human being, it's, it's easy to understand why life is so confusing in America today. Yeah, it does. Um, It seems that everybody's trying to really figure it out. And we really see this in the lives of our teenagers or in adolescents. Uh, As some people might know, my my father was a pediatric endocrinologist. He was a researcher. And one of the things he really researched, you know, was uh, adolescents 
And that's the whole notion of where you go through all of those hormonal changes. And he said what I remember before he died, he talked about how much it changed just in the years that he had studied it, the whole Mm. notion of puberty. And that is, he said, it used to be when I started that teen girls would start puberty at 14. And he said, now they start at 12. And he says, that's the influence of our culture. And he said, and what's really fascinating is it doesn't end now until 20 or 24. So this... So it's getting longer. It's getting longer. And starting earlier. And starting earlier, yeah. So what what's interesting about that, I think, is that it is really difficult for people to figure it out. And these competing, you know, ideologies are increasing adolescence and torturing our teenagers. You know, it just tortures them. We, we're, we're, the world says to them, hey, your life means something. You're, you know, follow your dreams. You can do whatever you want. We affirm you. Everyone should be valued. But on the other hand, you're, we're science-driven, and you're a scientific materialist, a secular humanist, an atheist, and so your life has no meaning, your existence has no meaning, and everything you do is meaningless. So how, how does a teenager reconcile those two? They don't. And that's why we have what we have today reflected. All the confusion, the yeah. length of puberty, all of that. All the craziness, yeah. Our happiness as adults then escapes us. Heartache embraces us. Joy is a dream and depression is the reality. Uh, finding real love is the goal, but betrayal, disappointment, and abuse is the norm. I think the reason why life is so hard for people to figure out is because we don't realize how dead we really are as a society. Mm. And I, I'm not trying to insult people or put, I'm just like a physician wants to diagnose and cure the disease. You got to know what the disease is. And the disease is, is that we are a culture of death. And what I mean by that is we don't know, we don't understand what it is that kills our humanity any longer. This is why when Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, he was specifically saying to you and to me that we are dead and we need to be raised from the dead. Mm. Not later, but now notice how right before he said this, he's talking to Martha and he says, he will rise again. He's talking about Lazarus and she goes, well, I know that Lord at the end of our life, you know, the second (laughs) life will raise from the grave. And Jesus says, no, right now. Mm. And I think that's it, is that Jesus wants you to be alive right now. See, he is the resurrection and the life. We can't live at all until we are resurrected from the death we now are living in. I mean, that seems really profound, but definitely there's a ring of truth within it. It's not just these floofy statements. Like you can kind of feel that, um, in your soul. Um, in your opinion, what are the main ways our society is, uh, what you've been calling a culture of death? Well, I think at its core, it's a philosophical position. Very few people discuss it. It's never addressed in any of our educational uh, systems. And uh, higher education has lost the whole notion of philosophy. It, it's lost it since the late 1800s. It's mostly, a, you know, philosophy in, in universities is mostly a joke. And, uh, but in essence, this philosophical position is a difference in definition of what it means to be a human being. 
And there's basically only one of two definitions, categorically speaking. There is the atheistic option. Some call it secular humanist option. It's a scientific materialist or the naturalist option. It's the one that's propagated uh, a lot in our public educational system. It's propagated in all of the Frankfurt School of Social Theory, critical race theory, gender studies, feminism, all of these types of things. Uh, Neo-Marxism, postmodernism, all revolve around this basic concept, which is an atheistic option. And that is the bottom line is, is because you own nothing beyond you besides the material exists. Therefore, everything, every reality about you is socially constructed. It's a mm. social construct, uh, <clears throat> which at its core is uh, patently absurd. The second thing is that there is theism. And theism basically says, well, there is a God. And since there is a God, you can know things about this God. You can even know this God. There are logical, rational, reasonable conclusions. When you really start to think about the fact there is a God, all of the logic, rationale, philosophy, reasonable conclusions are drawn from the fact that there is a God. And the conclusions are, this is a singular God. This is a creative God. It's a personal God. It's an all-powerful God. And so, wow, it really changes your orientation. So there's the atheistic option or there's a theistic option. So in essence, uh, or, or the, the primary point, that the essence of the resurrection and what it says to us as individuals is what you just said, that there yeah. is a God, singular, creative, and personal. Yeah, and, and we have to come alive now in order to discover that. When Jesus went to the grave of Lazarus, he had them pull back the stone right? Mm -hmm. And they all said no. And why did they say no? Because they were worried about the smell, yeah. I believe is what the they, their biggest concern was. Yeah, it's absolutely disgusting. <laughs> you know, I mean, anybody... I, I don't work in a morgue in, specifically for that and many other reasons. Yeah, yeah and uh, just recently, we have a pond in our backyard and, you know, the ducks come in there and sometimes they'll, they'll be in there. And I went out this last week and... Uh, well, a couple of weeks ago, we have some ducks in there, you know, mm -hmm. hanging out. We had a mallard and a, a drake or a hen. And, and what happened is the, the female died for mm -hmm. what, I don't know why, but it was just laying there dead. And so it's really interesting. It probably died about four or five days ago because last night I went to clean it up, you know, and get it in the trash because the trash comes uh, tomorrow at our house. And so what happened is that thing stunk to high heaven oh my god it was in that spot where it's just you know it's starting to rot and it's just gross and that's when the gases start release it's really disgusting and so these people understood this and they knew this and and so this is a real situation it's a real event but it also speaks to the overall uh place and point of our culture and that is when people are dying it's disgusting you know, when, when you see people locked in the bondage of addiction and how it destroys their relationships, it destroys their families, it destroys their children, it destroys their own perception of themselves where they lose hope and they don't even want to live because they're locked. It's, it's disgusting and filthy and horrible and evil. Well, and that's got to be what God kind of smells on us when we're, you know, when we haven't been redeemed, we're kind of this disgusting, yeah. smelly, 
and that's creature that no one in their right mind would normally want to go and deal with and he chases after us passionately he says roll back the stone yeah he's like (laughs) we're going in we're going in yeah you know when you look at people who are locked into trying to discover their identity and through sex through sexual uh, uh passions or sexual preferences or sexual orientations and they they What's so interesting, instead of finding a higher plane of sexual intimacy and fulfillment, they become trapped in in sexual perversions and sexual immorality. And they they have sexual addictions, you know, whether it be porn or illicit relationships or all of these kinds of things. Mm. It's it's that culture of death. And, And what it does is it destroys people and human beings, you know. When, when other people fall in love with people, they, they say the same thing. I feel used and betrayed at the deepest level. And, and so where the Bible said, Jesus said this very in the Bible, he says, wherever there's sin, there is death. And where is sin? Everywhere. Everywhere. And that's really the issue is that when Jesus went to the grave of Lazarus, he had them pull the stone back and this stone trapped all the odor and all the stuff inside. Mm. But you know what else it did? It trapped Lazarus inside. And so Jesus said, remove the stone. Take away the thing that traps the odor of death on him. And then he issues one command and one command alone. He doesn't go into a big soliloquy. He doesn't say all this poetry, but just through the power of the authority of who he is, he says, Lazarus, come out. And there's two beautiful things in that, those three words. Number one is he calls him by name. Mm. You know, one of my favorite songs is Glorious Day because it says, you know, I was trapped. Basically, the whole song starts off as I was dead. I was in the culture of death. I was trapped. I didn't know it. And then he called my name. And that's that's what the resurrection says to you and to me, is that he's not calling people, oh, in general, da-da. he says Jesse, he says Doug, he says Mary or Frank or Sue or Charles. He says your name because he knows who you are. He knows what's trapped you. He knows the culture of death surrounding you. He pulls back the stone and he says, come out. The resurrection of Jesus is so powerful because it removes the trapping stone, the cover of death that suffocates our life. And then he commands death. He looked because of the resurrection, he looks death right in the face. And he says, release him by name, release her. You know, when you finally awaken to who Jesus is and you awaken to say yes to him, you have no idea of the war in the spiritual realms that has been waged over your soul. And in that moment, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, pulls forth the sword of truth and he lops off the head of the devil. He defeats the death that has ensconced your life and he makes you alive. That's what the resurrection is all about. We come forth. We are able to walk in a new life. That doesn't mean our old life won't struggle and trip, but now our new identity is new life. The curse is broken. Death is defeated. Evil no longer has the power to to destroy your soul. That is the most beautiful, powerful, wonderful thing you could ever imagine. Well, and I love, I mean, this is some of my favorite stuff, and I love that he walks out on his own 
yeah. on his own, right? Like, yeah. he calls him out, but la- he doesn't go in and pick Lazarus up and carry him out. Correct. He's like, you, you know, I fought this battle. We saved your soul. Now you can get on your own two feet, and you can yeah. walk out. Because you're, you're alive. You're alive. You're right? alive, yeah. not You're not chained down anymore. You, We don't have to come in and pull you out. Right. You come out. Yeah. Just like the paralytic. You know, he heals a paralytic. He speaks a word. He doesn't touch him or anything. And then he says, stand up, pick up your pallet, and walk out of here. Yeah. <laughs> he says, I'm not going to carry your bed for yeah. you. Yeah, you do it. This is you. Yeah. See, that's living. See, Jesus wants to give us life. That's why he's the resurrection. He wants to give us life. He's not He's not interested in taking your life. It's not spiritual we- uh, welfare. He's yeah. not giving you. He wants to give you life. Yeah. And that's the most freeing, independent, wonderful thing that you could ever imagine. So what are some of the things uh, each of us can focus on as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus this weekend? Well, I think right now it is the time, you know, right now. The time is to truly and authentically start living. It is in the greatest misery, the greatest tragedy called COVID-19, a pestilence that washed across the globe. We have discovered something. And here's what we discovered. We discovered that American people are not actually living real lives. Mm. When all the trappings were taken away, everyone fell apart the mental strength or joy or happiness disappeared and you know what that tells me is what people thought they were happy they thought they had fulfilling lives they thought they had it all together and then the deception of our death culture was whipped away the fog was blown away by covid and it exposed us for who we really are people locked in a culture of death. We discovered that our society is killing us and our souls primarily because we pursue all of the things that kill us as authentic human beings. We pursue sexual autonomy and pleasure at all costs. And in the process, we kill the beauty, the intimacy, the wonder of spiritual unity with another human being in a covenantal relationship. We, see, we, we pursue the personification of self over everything else. And in the process, we kill the freedom of our soul as a place and place it into bondage to the most basic human drives like pride, arrogance, and self-centeredness. You know, it's so fascinating because when you read the New Testament, you know, everybody is always talking about, well, is this sexual thing allowed or not? And can God forgive it? Is this amount of drinking or entertainment or joy or pursuit allowed and it's okay? And everybody misses the most important thing that keeps you from God, and that's pride. Mm. It's pride. It's our arrogance in the face of the God who faced death and defeated us, and we're looking at him and saying, uh, I'd like to be mostly dead. <laughs> You know, I want to be alive, you know, at the end of my life. But right now I'd like to be mostly dead. Right. You know, because I like being dead. And, and, we, and God, I don't think, is offended by that. I don't think he's even judgmental about that. And my, honestly, this is my, my feeling. And I, you know, I'm not sure I can speak for God. But for me, God looks down that and goes, wow, you're stupid. <laughs> you're, that's just stupid. That's why I'm opposed to pride. 
Because pride is part of the culture of death. Arrogance is the culture of death. And the culture of death kills you. Mm. It doesn't kill me. As a matter of fact, I faced it, put it on the center of the cosmic stage, and I defeated it. So you think I'm fearful of death? Not at all. Mm. But you are. And so I think what we need to do is not celebrate evil anymore, but let us revel in righteousness. Let us not highlight death and what it destroys in our lives, but let us walk in the newness of life with every bit of passion that we can muster. Let us be the greatest people of all. Let us be people who are alive right now, not just in eternity, but right now, filled with life, filled with light, filled with joy, filled with happiness, filled with love and compassion, strength and courage. Let us cancel the culture of death and let us celebrate with every fiber of our being the greatest victory, the greatest event in human history, the most freeing, the most life-giving, the most courageous, powerful, victorious act that humanity has ever known, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, and I hope you guys will come and celebrate that resurrection with us. We've got a couple different um, events this weekend Mm -hmm. to, to celebrate that. And uh, one of those is Good Friday. We're partnering with Revive Church and Boise Community Church, and we're doing a whole worship night here at the Foothills. At um, 7, o'clock. 7 o'clock to 8 o'clock. It'll be about an hour long. And you can watch online if you're yep, out of doing, state. We're doing the online um, stream as well. So if, yeah. you're, if you can't make it but still want to um, see and hear it, then it's going to be a p- yeah. big, big blessing. Um, Saturday, we're doing um, a little Easter fest out in the backfield. So we're doing Easter egg hunts um, at Age Brackets. Um, with from donuts, 10 to 2? 10 to 2. 10 to 2 on campus. On campus with donuts and coffee and all kinds of different things. Coloring contests, jelly bean counts, lots of different prizes for the little Kids ones. Kids will love it. Apparently they won't give me anything. I don't understand <laughs> why they're being so ageist, but whatever. And then obviously uh, Sunday morning services. We're doing 8.30, 10, 11.30. If you're doing church at home or live outside of Boise, then host a uh, a brunch at your house with your friends and family and neighbors, invite them to come over and watch a resurrection celebration with you. And those are just the, the services on campus. On we'll campus. have some um, that evening that will be stream only. So if, if you can't make it in the morning, but want to sit down with the family and watch from home later, we'll do some live streams uh, of the service later in the day as well. Yeah, that'll so. be awesome. Loving it. We hope you guys are going to join us here in beautiful Boise, Idaho, or from wherever you're at here at Foothills Christian Church. Thank you guys so much, and happy Resurrection Weekend. Amen.